Good morning, South Suburban Christian Church. My name is Pastor Ike Nicholson. Thank you for joining us here again on our live feed worship service. God bless you for your tenacity to hold on to the faith of Jesus Christ. We will get through this and God will be glorified. The uh, series that we find ourselves in in this season of Lent is the Breaking Expectation series. And over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at ways in which Jesus Christ broke the expectations of certain people that he had exchanges with. Uh, the woman at the well, uh, Nicodemus, uh, the blind man and the Pharisees. Today is actually the last sermon in this series. Next Sunday will be Palm Sunday, and then the Sunday after that will be Resurrection Sunday. The world calls it Easter, and that's perfectly fine. And uh, so this is the last sermon in that Breaking Expectation series, but we're going to do something just a little bit different this Sunday. Certainly Christ is going to break some expectations, but I'm asking you to consider the expectations you have and whether or not you and I are prepared for Christ to step into our life and break our expectations that can oftentimes be much lower than what God has in mind. Our text today comes from John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to go get them. And uh, it, people say, which version of the Bible should I get? Whichever one you will read is the version that you should get. So if you have John chapter 11, uh, it's a long passage of Scripture. It's 45 verses. So I want to do this week the same thing that I did last week. Instead of reading the whole text and then going back and looking at it, we're going to read it as we go along. Um, and I'll stop at particular verses and uh, say a few words about them. So if you found it, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, for a lot of you already, you know exactly the story I'm talking about. This is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. You know, sometimes in life, we have certain expectations of not only what we think folks should do, but how they should do it and when they should do it. And the same is oftentimes true with our relationship with God. We have expectations of what God should do, how God should do it, and the timeline on which God should be doing it. This is an example of those moments in our life when God's timeline doesn't always fit our timeline. This is an example in our life where we are reminded, specifically in this particular story with Lazarus, that brokenness is not a result of God's anger, it is an opportunity for God to show us his glory. 
Now, this is extremely important, especially as we find ourselves in this season as we're dealing with this crisis of the COVID-19. Lots of folks are looking for reasons as to why this happened, who needs to be blamed, uh, who should carry the weight of the responsibility. And the truth is, is it is a long, dark tunnel, a hole that we can dig ourselves down into if we just think that this is because of God's anger. It's not because of God's anger. Listen, God's anger of human sin was satisfied on the cross with Jesus Christ. That's an important doctrinal statement for followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bore the weight of our sin at Calvary. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our rebellion on the cross at Calvary. That's an important statement in the Christian faith and one that's easily lost with all of the sounds of different people talking about this. The brokenness that we find ourselves in as a nation, as an entire planet, is not a result of God's anger. It is, a, it is an opportunity. It is a way that God can show his glory. And there's a role for the church to play in that as well. I'll come back to that in just a little bit. Here in this story, Jesus is quite clear. The same way he was with his disciples last week when they, when they were talking with the blind man. You remember that? And the disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, it wasn't his sin, his parents' sin. It was so that God's glory could be seen. And here we are again. A couple chapters later in John chapter 11, and Jesus says again, this illness that Lazarus has been struck with is not one that leads to death, but it's so that God can be glorified. The Son of God can be glorified. That's the important first step in seeking to understand our expectation, that brokenness, that strife, that plague is not a result of God's anger, but it's a way that God can be glorified. Let's read on in verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, lots of folks ask me, why on earth would Jesus do that? Why didn't he come right away? Well, well there's a lot of uh, expectations and interpretations of why that's the case. But most scholars agree that it had more to do with the understanding and customs of sickness and death in the ancient world. And that is, is that most folks, when they heard uh, or saw someone die, uh, the, the final uh, uh, dispensation that they were dead wasn't done by a coroner, like we do in our own society, or by a physician. It was done by how long they were dead, and the time span was three days. So if you stayed dead for three days, you were dead. There was no question about it. It's an important reason when we think about the crucifixion of Jesus, why he stayed in the tomb three days, because it fits the custom and traditions of the ancient world as to how one could be assured that they were really dead. So by Jesus staying two more days, in many ways, it's a, it's a difficult a concept to understand that he's making sure that even though he said that this illness that Lazarus had doesn't lead to death, 
It's going to lead to death. And it's going to be so significant, so understandable, that no one's going to be able to question that Lazarus truly was dead. Now, this is an important precursor as Jesus Christ is laying the groundwork in the midst of this grief, in the midst of this brokenness, so that he will be glorified. So beginning, keep, uh, continuing on in verse 7. Then, after he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? So they're referencing the fact that the Jews in, the, in Judea, which is the southernmost area of the ancient land, are looking uh, to, to arrest Jesus, perhaps put him to death. And his disciples saying, going back into that madness, into that anger, into that hate is crazy. And then Jesus uh, uh, continues. He answers, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in, not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now can you imagine being Jesus' disciples in that moment? And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. This is uh, the, the quintessential statement that Jesus is making in his effort of showing that what Lazarus is dealing with hasn't anything to do with Lazarus, but has everything to do with the opportunity that Jesus has to reveal himself, not only to his disciples, but to the world, and to me, and to you. And Jesus goes on, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, we begin to transition now in this story. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So now we're sure that Lazarus is dead. There is no question whatsoever. The man is dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, isn't that an interesting juxtaposition of expectations? She expected that if Jesus had come sooner, Lazarus would not be dead. Well, that's an example of an expectation that we can all probably shout amen to. She's not wrong. If Jesus had come, Jesus could have healed him. Why didn't Jesus come sooner? All of us have dealt with circumstances and situations where folks have, have, have laid this weight of, of regret and grief on our shoulders and said, if you had done something earlier, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in. Has anybody heard that of late on national news? 
Now, that's not to dismiss any responsibilities that any, anybody should have been doing or preparing uh, with this pandemic or anything else. But it is to say this, that no matter what preparation we do or don't do, that does not necessarily impact what Jesus is about to do. You, you see, that's important for us to remember. People may have dropped the ball. No one is arguing that. And next time, maybe folks will pay more attention and they won't drop the ball. But the fact of the matter is, is that we serve a God that it doesn't matter whether or not we've dropped the ball or not dropped the ball because God's glory can be seen through anything. And the bigger the brokenness, the bigger the devastation, the greater the challenge, the more readily we are able to see that God is God. One of the things that I like to share with people quite often is uh, they'll come to me, they'll be in, a, in, in the midst of crisis or, or, or uncertainty, and they'll say, I don't understand why God's not stepping in and saving me. And, and you know, having served in, in the church for over 25 years as a pastor, one of the things that I've seen time and time again is, is that Jesus never fails us. Now, we might be right at the edge of the cliff. I mean, we could be holding on by one finger, and we think we're going to fall to our death. And it might be in that moment where, where the branch that we're holding on to, the roots are popping out of the ground, that Jesus steps in and catches us and carries us. I, I, I don't know if it's a matter of our own faith. I don't know if it's a matter of, of opportunity. But I can say this, God has always been faithful. God has never let go of us. And that can be hard to remember in times of uncertainty, in times of fear, in times of crisis. But it's something that I want to share with you boldly, prophetically. It's something that those scriptures teach us and remind us time and time again. But she goes on. Martha goes on and she says, I, I know that if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But in verse 22, but even now I know if you have a pencil or a pen and you don't mind writing in your Bible, I, I encourage you to draw a little line under that word no or, or draw a little circle around it. I drew a little circle around mine. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This is the second point that I want to share with you that the great struggle in the Christian life is to get our heart and our head on the same page. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some times where my heart says, I know that God can do this, but my head says, I'm not sure God can do this. And then there are other times in my life when, when I might say, I know that I can do this. I have the skills and the abilities to do this, but I just don't believe in myself. You know, in the Christian life, especially as we as the church will be called to, to minister, to witness, to serve a world that has plunged itself into fear and uncertainty. We need to be praying about that right now, getting ready for that right now, getting our heart and our head on the same page. That we believe in our hearts, that we confess with our mouths, that we know in our minds that what God has said through his word, what we have been called to do as the church is true with a capital T. That's the great struggle. 
It's not something you'll fix today, may not be something you'll fix next week, but I pray that you'll make that a part of your spiritual struggle as you find yourself in in your own self-distancing or self-quarantining. Make that a prayer every day. Lord, help me as I live the Christian life to get my heart and my head on the same page. Martha's heart and head here is on the same page. She knows Jesus has the ability And she also knows that whatever Jesus asks from the Father, the Father will give him. I love this woman. We need more women. We need more people in the church and the world like our dear sister Martha. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She knows that that's down the road. But Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus says to Martha, do you believe this? I'm so glad that he asked Martha, not me. (laughs) Do you believe this? I believe this some days. Other days I believe this. And what we're being called to right now in this moment And this moment in our life that we'll never forget, that the world will never forget, is do we believe this? Verse 27, she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You might remember that phrase, especially if you're an active part of the Christian church movement, because this phrase we often call the great confession. It is what we require of everyone who comes into the life of a local congregation of the Christian church movement. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and do you accept and proclaim him to be Lord and Savior? Isn't that interesting? That Peter, from whom we get that great confession, isn't the only one that said it. Martha said it as well. As a matter of fact, in the chronology of Jesus' life, Martha said it first. This great woman declared this confession that Peter would say later on at the Last Supper, as they were preparing for the the end of Jesus' life, that Peter would declare uh, uh, who, who, who Jesus was. Martha had already done it. I wonder if Peter overheard her put that in the recesses of his, of his heart or in his mind. But this great woman of faith was the first to declare who Jesus was as John records these events. Now, I'm going to skip over verses 28 through verses 37. You can read those on your own, and I encourage you to do that. Mainly because I want to begin getting to the uh, final crux of, of this message and this moment. So what's happened is, is that uh, 
uh, Jesus uh, hears the, the folks who've come to visit Mary and Martha. He hears them crying. He, he, he's grieved as well. The text actually says he was greatly troubled. Um, as he's preparing to, to do this great miracle, some of the Jews are saying, well, he could give healing to the blind man from last week's message. Why did he let his friend die? So, so even in the midst of this, people are still complaining. There are always going to be people who complain. And then in verse 38, we pick up again. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Not, not to the bedside, not, not to where there's just a sliver of hope, but he came to the tomb where there is absolutely no hope. No one has ever laid their loved ones to rest in a cemetery and said, well, maybe they'll get over their sickness now. Now, this is important. All hope has been lost at this point. Lazarus is in the tomb. And just to make sure that we don't misunderstand this, John goes on, says it was a cave and a stone lay against it, a foreshadowing of the very tomb that Jesus will be laid in when he's crucified. And Jesus said, verse 39, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Now, if you have a King James Version, I love the King James Version, especially here. It says, surely he stinketh. You, you don't believe me? Go, go get your King James Bible. If you don't have one, uh, when this is all over, go visit your grandmother and, and read hers. Because it'll say that. Surely his body stinketh. There is no doubt whatsoever that the course of how things go in nature have started and cannot be arrested and certainly can't be reversed. A further emphasis of the hopelessness of this situation. For, as she goes along, as she continues on, he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, there's a lot of folks that would say that the reason Jesus was able to do this was because Martha believed. I think here the scriptures are quite clear. Martha doesn't believe anymore. The faith that she so prophetically declared just moments ago has all gone. But you know what? The, 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 the excessiveness of our faith is not what gives God God's power. God's power is what allows us to have faith. Verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, before I go on, imagine you're standing around. You would have thought this guy, Jesus, has lost his ever-loving mind. Who stands at a tomb and cries out for the dead person to come out? We remember the stories of when Jesus' voice calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. We might believe Jesus' voice when he says, You are forgiven. Go and sin no more to the woman who'd been caught in adultery. 
Yeah, we might be able to build a nice devotion about how the words of Jesus can declare great and eternal things, but the words of Jesus can call the dead back to life? How different is it when at the beginning of time, as God's Spirit hovered over the waters and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the created order that we now enjoy came into being when what? The Bible says, when God spoke. Let there be light. And there was light. And if God can call something into existence that never existed before, if God can call things into existence out of nothingness, then this calling of life out of death is easy for the word of God, Jesus Christ. Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. Because even when death, even when darkness, even when the legions of hell hear the word of God command them, they must obey. And God is speaking life into your life. God is speaking courage into your life. God is speaking victory over doubt in your life. And if the word of God commands that, we cannot disobey. The Bible says that as this dead man, this man who was once dead comes out, his hands and his feet are bound with linen strips, just like the natural custom of preparing a dead body in that first century, and his face wrapped with cloth. And then probably the greatest verse of this entire text, you're like, how can it get any greater than the words Lazarus come out? Because now it's time for you and me to come into the story. Jesus said to them, who's the them? Everybody that was around. The people who were making fun of him, the people who were criticizing him, Martha who was trying to have faith, but even that was failing her in those final moments. Everyone around, Jesus says to them, the really faithful, the sort of faithful, and the folks with no faith at all. Jesus says to them all, unbind him and let him go. And this is the third point that I want to share with you today. God calls us, me and you, as the church and as the world. He calls us to deploy as a result of his healing. Well, what are the ways that we can unbind the world in this moment of crisis we find ourselves where everybody is bound up and locked up? Well, there's a couple practical things that I want to share with you. First of all, if you don't need to be out, stay home. <laughs> I know you've heard that a lot. It's hard. And when the walls seem to be crushing in on you. Uh, this morning when I was praying, I, I was asking, Lord, how much longer do we got to be cooped up? And, 
And, uh, you know, I, I sensed in my spirit the Lord saying, well, I remember, uh, Ike, when this whole Lenten uh, season began that you prayed as a church that you might understand the 40 days Jesus spent alone in the wilderness preparing himself prior to the temptation. Well, there you go. Listen, I know it's hard to stay home. I know the walls are screaming at you, but it's for not only your good, but the good of your neighbor, your family, your community. I know this is the weirdest thing in the world to hear, but sometimes the best thing that we can do is to do nothing at all. Just stay home. If you don't need to be out, protect yourself, protect your spouse, protect your children. Stay home. We'll be let free again. And then in that time, we can enjoy the embrace of our friends and family. We can enjoy the gathering of the church together again. When we sing psalms and, and songs and gather around the Lord's table, when we can go see hockey games and baseball games and football games, that will happen. But right now, this is what we need. Another thing that we can do as a community to unbind the world, to unbind those God is releasing in this crisis, is to remember that, yes, we are physical beings and the church is a physical thing, but we're also spiritual. We're spiritually connected as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're spiritually connected as the world. And nothing can take that away. Nothing will take that away. That's why we grieve when we hear about our brothers and sisters in Christ being persecuted in, in, in other countries. Even though we may have never met them, even though we have never spoken to them, there's a spiritual connection between our brothers and sisters in Christ and far-off lands who are dealing with horrific life circumstances. Why, why do we get upset? Why do we get frustrated? Why do we grieve? Because there's a spiritual connection. And nothing can break that. Nothing can divide us in our spiritual relationship with one another. Another thing we can do is, is we can ask God to lead us through this season of solitude. You know, in the Christian life, being alone is a good thing. Jesus uh, does it himself. He withdraws from the crowd so that he can pray. This could be an opportunity for some of us to to, to, to be immersed in Scripture, to, to, to practice our disciplines of prayer. And, and I know that in the midst of worrying about our finances and our jobs and job losses, and they're all very real things, there is an opportunity in the midst of, of this uncertainty, in the midst of this solitude, to ask God, God, lead me through this. Let me follow you through this. Another thing we can do is we can make space for grief and gratitude. This season of crisis, this season of uncertainty, this season of, of fear and doubt for so many is going to bring grief to a lot of people. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the pastor of, um, of, of Moody Church in Chicago, Ed Stetzer, says that this is not the crisis, what we're experiencing now. He says the crisis is going to come. I know that might be something that strikes fear into some of your hearts, but, but, but let's get through the bad news so we can get to the good news. Ed Stetzer says that in about a week or two, every single one of us in the United States will know at least one person who's been diagnosed positive with COVID-19. And he goes on to say that in about a month, every single person in the United States will know someone who has died from COVID-19. 
I'm not really sure what to do with that, except to weep, except to have grief. But in the midst of that, there will also be seasons of gratitude. For some will recover, some will avoid it altogether. But the word for me and you as the church right now, in this moment, in this place, on this very morning, is to remember the words of Pastor Stetzer that this isn't the crisis. The crisis is yet to come. Here at South Suburban Christian Church, we've been planning. And some of the things that we're planning is the first phase of, of pause and pivoting and, and taking our services online and connecting with you through technology. We're in the midst of planning what will come next in the weeks to come. And, and, and we have neighbors. We, we have a hospital down the street. We, we have first responders around us at our firehouse and our police department. And they're going to need us. The world is going to need the church. And in the weeks to come, this congregation, your community of faith here at South Suburban, is going to be asking you to consider ways that you can deploy to unbind those God has resurrected from the dead, those that God has given a new life to. The time is coming when the church won't be an organization that just focuses on itself and its own members, but where the members of the church begin to focus on the world. This is the time that the church has been prepared for by God's Holy Spirit. We are the people of God. God is about to do a great thing in this time of crisis, and then God's going to turn to his bride, to his body, to the church, and he's going to say, okay, I've healed the world. I've called them back from the tomb of death and darkness. Now I need you to unbind them and set them free. Brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ was made for such a time as this. Are you ready? I don't know if I am either. But by God's grace, through his word, and by the inspiration of, your, of his Holy Spirit, we will unbind the world and set them free as God's glory is known. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us that when our expectations are that we can do nothing, you are preparing, a, you are preparing to show us what we can do when we find ourselves hunkered down in fear and doubt you break those expectations and remind us that we have been empowered and gifted by the Holy Spirit to speak a word of hope and renewal to the world. We pray, Lord, that you'll continue to prepare each of us as we wait with expectation for the moment you arrive when you command the stone to be rolled away from the tomb and you call out to the world, come out, and this virus will have been defeated. And then you'll speak to us, my beloved bride, my church, my body, unbind them and set them free. We are itching and we are ready, Lord, to be deployed by you because of your healing and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
and amen.